We are so lucky we were able to recruit Dr. Steven Peters to talk with us. When we did, we had no idea he was a movie star, or at least close to one, having been a leader on the documentary American High School. Steven is a wise leader with a rich background as a school and district leader. He and Jeff discussed the need for some future changes, and most importantly, what leaders can do to drive change. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, how are you? Welcome to Leader Chat. I'm Jeff Rose, and um, today's going to be special. This, this conversation is going to be special. Uh, for those that are in the leadership circle, part of our community, you have the ability to watch this when we air it, see the recordings, etc. And as many know, the podcast comes out two weeks after we air it to our members only in a, a publicly available fashion. The, the way we get our content is by listening. So it's an organic process. We listen to our members, our leaders throughout the country. We try to determine what we think are themes in their leadership opportunities and their challenges. And then we go find content experts in those areas. And at times, we just get these recommendations. So this conversation comes via a recommendation. Somebody on our team said, you have to talk to this gentleman. And so um, I'm going to introduce you to this leader, but this is the kind of conversation, this is the kind of leader that um, I wish I knew personally years ago when I was in the seat. I, I, I've, I've, I, I've learned from his story, and I think that the best way to describe him before we talk to him is that as an educational leader, he has not only been around the block, but he's been back again. And that doesn't have to do with describing, um, you know, his age or anything else other than the work that he has done over time, um, you will see is inspiring. So without further ado, um, I'm going to be introducing you to Dr. Stephen Peters. Now, prior to his career in education, Dr. Stephen Peters received a full scholarship and was a basketball star at Hampton University. In fact, at one time, that that was his career trajectory, is basketball. Uh, Peters was inducted into the Colleton uh, County Basketball Hall of Fame in January 2016 and continues to follow sports faithfully. Upon his graduation from Hampton, he went into teaching. And after demonstrating an ability to transform the classroom and school environment into one of success and achievement, even in the most challenging circumstances, he rose up to be one of the most respected ed educators and school turnaround experts in the U.S. Focusing on equity, diversity, and inclusion are the forefront of his vast experiences in education and in the nonprofit world. Stephen has been a classroom teacher, assistant principal, Direct, uh, director of Secondary Education and the Superintendent of Schools. He has served on panels as an educational expert with former U.S. Ed Secretary of Education, Dr. Rod Page in Washington, D.C. He also is the author of several award-winning and best-selling books, including Do You Know Enough About Me to Teach Me? and Teaching to Capture and Inspire All Leaders. Currently, Stephen is the CEO and president of the Peters Group, an education consulting company that is dedicated to creating and sustaining success in schools and districts by supporting educators. He has been featured on the Oprah Winfrey Show as well as America America, 
uh, Peters was featured on the documentary. Um, originally, I believe this was a, a BBC documentary, but in the meantime, it's it's uh, been aired in a variety of ways. Currently, I'm addicted and streaming it on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, an American high school. And after talking with Stephen, I, I didn't know about this, and I'm going to describe in just a minute how me being addicted to streaming this is causing me some personal challenges. Um, if you have not seen An American High School, which really talks about the Orangeburg-Wilkinsville High School, which has been known as OW, um, and also transformed from being OW to being considered as an uh, opportunities waiting. So, uh, without further ado, I would love to bring Stephen Peters onto the screen and just to say thank you. Stephen, I, I took your bio, which is this long, and I made it this long. So, like, help us. What, what did I miss? What are the critical things that you thought, you know, you didn't need to mention this, but if you only had mentioned that, that would maybe describe me a little bit better than I could have done? Well, it's just weird hearing all of that, Jeff. It really is, because... You're so busy uh, working that, you know, there's very little time to think about what work you've done. Uh, just hope that we've helped a lot of people along the way. And that's our focus now is continuing to help leaders develop more leaders um, and to give the children in our schools the best quality education possible. Um, I wake up every morning so excited yeah, I started this work 42 years ago out of college. And it doesn't seem like 42 years because I don't feel like I've ever worked a job in my life. This is this is my life purpose. And I thought it was basketball, but it's 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 educational leadership. It's really helping people in that K-12, that pre-K-12 space uh, to to have the ability and hope. Uh, and hope for me stands for helping others pursue education. And that that's what we're doing on a daily basis. So maybe take us back a little bit, though, Stephen, because um, obviously uh, basketball was a, a huge part of your life uh, before the classroom kind of, you know, swallowed you up or took over um, and you started to lean into that. But what maybe what is some of the motivation to going in to education? What was your I mean, your why, one's why does change and morph a little bit, but yeah, maybe yeah. what was that initial why? If you know what, I think I've got to be in the class. Yeah, what I'm, was you that? Know, I'm, I'm laughing because at Hampton, I played with uh, a gentleman that many people know, uh, Rick Mahorn. He's considered one of the bad boys for <laughs> Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't know him. I know of him. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm 6'1", Rick 6'11". His dream and aspiration was to be a high school principal. Uh, he grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. His high school principal was somebody that he wanted to emulate, you know. Um, and my dream and aspiration was to be an NBA superstar. And I, I often joke with people and say at Hampton, God got us confused because he became the NBA basketball star and I became the high school principal. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I uh, basketball and athletics, in a sense, is why I became the leader I became and continue to lead the way I lead now. Um, many of the uh, skill sets that I developed came from playing basketball, you know, being, being at practice and realizing how important practice was or is 
And having a coach in college who really uh, demanded that you give not only 100%, but that you give 101%. And that that doesn't happen, you know, from time to time, but it happens every day. So persistence, um, being able to sustain your efforts over time, not just having one good game, but having a season of good games. And so a lot of that transferred to the seat of principal. A lot of it transferred to my seat as a sitting superintendent just as short as two years ago in 2020. So um, as, as you described kind of this, this motivation and maybe being you know, uh, you know, confused with your with your buddy Mahorn. So, um, the the concept though of being in a classroom compared to leadership. Now, there are obviously teachers are leaders, but what I'm referring to is um, leading a system of educators, which happens at the building level, at the district level, and so forth. How did you learn that you were cut out for that? I mean, everyone has a story. They didn't. They don't necessarily raise their hand and say, "You know what? I'm going to just be a principal. Sign me up." There's a process, yeah. right? And they learn that ah, I'm equipped for this, or no way. So, what is well, it along the yeah. way that you know? Yeah, there are a couple things, and your questions are so on point because I think your questions will draw out of me what people really need to hear. There's so much that I could access over 42 years, but it, it's impossible to do that. So I'm grateful that your questions streamline me to, to remember what I need to activate. First and foremost, uh, there was an assistant superintendent who looked like me, a young African-American male who was the deputy superintendent. Um, and he was young and, and I can remember him visiting our school. I was a middle school teacher and it was at dismissal and he came by and he says young man i'm hearing some great things about you and he put his hand on my shoulder and he says i, I think it's time for you to start thinking about your future and what he was referring to is me going back to school and get my master's and so that was the first piece the second was after i got my master's and i, I was actually working as an assistant principal with some phenomenal folks and I was sent to an assessment center at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville by my school board. And it was a three-day assessment center, and I, I'll never forget getting that 24-page report. And the highlight of that report was that I had scored in the category of decisiveness off the charts. Nobody had ever uh, scorn, scored like that at, at in the area of decisiveness. So it was like they brought me in and they said, you know, we want to talk to you about your decision making capacity and whether it's instinctive or how do you um, make decisions. And, and they said, before you get too happy, Stephen, let us <laughs> say to you that while you scored off the charts, nobody had ever had these numbers before. It doesn't mean that you got the decision right. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just meant that you were decisive. And so, of course, after, you know, my balloon was deflated a bit, <laughs> I went back to work and, and realized that uh, humility is the new smart. 
is that, you know, as a leader, we have to make sure that the higher we go up or the bigger the title, uh, the bigger the office, that we remain rooted in humility, in that spirit of humility. But my decision-making capability or the skill set that I had came from being a point guard on a basketball team, from being the captain of my high school team, from being the captain of my college basketball team, because I had the ball in my hand more than anybody else on the court. And I had to make decisions, uh, spur the moment decisions, who gets the ball, why, where, how, uh, and who gets it next, and what do we do next? And I think as an athlete, when you're making on the spot decisions like that, that doesn't go away when something jumps off in your school and you find yourself the principal. I think that same uh, skill set is drawn out. You activate uh, that capacity to be able to make decisions on the spot. So those were two things that really um, came to mind when, when you asked the question. I, I knew that um, I was special because I belonged to Nathaniel and Charity Peters. That's my mother and father. I knew I was special because I'm the youngest of six children um, from a family that didn't have money, but high expectations. And because of those high expectations, my father used to say, nobody rises to low expectations. That's why I wrote about that in my book, Do You Know Enough About Me to Teach Me? What ended up happening because of those expectations, Jeff, is that five of the six of us received full scholarships to colleges. So nobody rises to low expectations. And I, I carried that with me as a teacher into the classroom when I became an assistant principal into uh, school, when I became a principal as a director of principals and certainly superintendent. Um, I carry that with me today as CEO and president of our own company, the Peters Group. Imagine the pride of your parents, right? I mean, yeah, well, my dad is 98 years old today. My mother is deceased, um, but uh, they did their job and they did their jobs well. So, uh, yeah, clearly, clearly, Stephen, I think, you know, I want to I want to take a theme. And this is actually a theme that I know um, you, you talk about and focus on as it relates to supporting and guiding uh, leadership. Um, the the concept of collaboration you mentioned that you know for for leaders to be successful some of the new skill sets is like humility transparency i i often tell leaders that um in the from the leadership sector vulnerability is this new push for leaders to be vulnerable what is so difficult for educational leaders is that sometimes they aren't judged on vulnerability they're judged on proficiency and educational leaders, in my mind, sometimes don't have a whole lot of space to, to be as honest as, as honest as they could be or should be. Um, mm -hmm. And they're expected to own every room they walk into, right? And so as that is the case, they sometimes struggle, almost that they've been conditioned to not know exactly how to collaborate. Collaborate is not just a discussion. It is a right a level of discourse that maybe impacts practice. It 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 put you have to be transparent 
and be able to admit your mistakes, mm -hmm. be able to even describe your successes in a mm -hmm. way that's not based upon you, but based upon the decision or the action. So how is it that you support or talk to leaders and promote them to collaborate, even though sometimes their jobs are saying don't? Yeah, I think it's both personal experience. Um, you know, my first year as a principal, I was leading the largest school in our district and it had a history of violence and fighting and and so forth. And I can remember the school board adopting a quality schools initiative that year, wherein if we didn't um, increase test scores, our academic performance in our schools in the one year period, we would no longer have a job. And, you know, I, I, I had no problem with that in the sense that I, I feel like if the expectations are high, then the resources are going to be high as well. The support is going to be high. The collaboration is going to be high. So I would ask questions. I, I would raise my hand uh, in that vulnerable state in front of, you know, 60 other principals who, who acted like they knew what they didn't know, but I wasn't willing to take that chance. And, you know, I said, if the stakes are this high, then I need help. I need you to send somebody uh, to our school to uh, walk with me, to hold my hand until I feel comfortable uh, moving us in the right direction. The other part of it, Jeff, is when the pandemic hit, it issued some harsh truths to public educators all over the world. And one of those truths is the fact that we can no longer do this work in isolation. Uh, one school district, one school, we, we need each other. You know, that is the bottom line message that was issued to us. We need each other. But in needing each other, we have to uh, create the right conditions for collaboration to take shape. And that is we need a constructive and safe space for educational leaders. I think back to when I left uh, OW and after filming the documentary for the BBC in 2015, I became a superintendent of schools uh, in the upstate of South Carolina in 2016. And with me, I took uh, two of my assistants from OW because I knew their work. They were two assistant principals. One uh, graduated from the Citadel Military Academy. I am a people person. I, I shake hands. I, I, I kiss babies. Uh, this guy doesn't smile. He is a policy <laughs> person. Um, and, and I needed him um, with me um, because I always tell leaders, if you look at your circle and you are the smartest person in your circle, you need a new circle. <laughs> That's right. I have always uh, hired people smarter than me. And then there's a second tier to that. You have to be comfortable with that. You can't be threatened by the fact that people are smarter than you. You want those people around you. The other person that I took was my assistant principal who was a football star in college. So we had that, that athletic background uh, intact. Uh, the guy who went to the Citadel, I made him my chief of staff. The other assistant principal, I made an elementary principal in a very tough part of uh, town where I was superintendent. And then when I became superintendent, we identified talent and we started aspiring leadership cohorts. Teachers who wanted to be assistant principals, assistant principals who wanted to be principals, 
and principals who wanted to work in district office. So we had three different cohorts going. Um, to make a long story short, Jeff, out of six people that we identified in my first year as superintendent, three of them are now sitting superintendents and two of the six are assistant superintendents. One is a principal. And so, you know, we've heard many, many people and uh, too many to quote, but it's not my saying. Um, I give credit to those who've said it. Um, highly effective leaders don't create followers. They develop more leaders, right? And so Todd Whitaker, as late, I've, I've seen Todd tweet that out and I've heard Todd uh, speak many, many times and he repeats that and he, he's so right in saying that. And so I think that's what we've done. We have identified uh, potential leaders. We have invested and made deposits into their development. And now they are leading. Um, my chief of staff that went to the Citadel, is a, he's a superintendent and he's up against uh, a lot of issues and challenges, but he's handling them every day. And my assistant superintendent uh, in Lawrence is now the superintendent. Um, the assistant principal is still running that tough school after a six-year period, and he's he's committed to staying there to sustain the growth. And you and I both know that one of the hardest things to do as an educational leader is not to improve a situation, a school or a school district, but it is to be able to sustain the efforts that you've started all the time. Oh, to, to sustain means that you have to you have to focus on the culture right and how we do things around here not just the decision or the action but to create norms that are long lasting beyond the leader which is a a new level of work right because Absolutely. then it, it transcends like it. the person right and it focuses on this is how we do it um you know there's a there's another theme I know you focus on and it's one that I've I've read books on I used to talk about often and it's this this concept of servant leadership and you know you've had a career that has demonstrated this uh up and down and sideways what servant leadership looks like and sounds like etc I, I want you to talk about you know your concept on servant leadership and I want you to address one problem I'm currently having with servant leadership um, and as, as an advocate of, of the concept, um, I'm seeing this uh, challenge for leaders. I'm really worried about leaders. It's why I do what I do. I worry about their longevity. Uh, I worry about their sometimes inexperience in terms of what they're being asked to do. And um, so in that, I see so many leaders focusing on the concept of serving others. The dilemma is, I think they sometimes forget about themselves. Mm -hmm. and forget about their own development. And they spend so much time dealing with the tyranny of the urgent, which is often handling and managing issues of others and not focusing on their own skill set and taking the time to be reflective and strategic and, and the critical thinkers they need to be. So talk to us about leadership and help me through my concern. Help me, you know, <laughs> help me through the dilemma I described. Yeah, well, let's go straight to the concern in that that concern is valid, especially now. That is why people like you and, and I are so busy right now. You know, when I moved from South Carolina to Georgia, 
um, my goal was to play as much golf as possible. And um, yeah, <laughs> um, while I struggle to get out there as often as I can, um, I'm working the majority of time and that work is being channeled into helping these educational leaders because for the first time that I can recall, they are now asking for help. Um, the pandemic issued those harsh truths and, and again, one of those truths is you need help being able to do this. Um, the flip side of your concern, however, is um, we have to be reminded that we can only give what we're full of. So the question is, what are you full of as a leader? If, if you're full of passion and, and energy, you can give that. But if you don't have that, that energy, uh, because that energy is being consumed by other people and things and issues, then you, you don't have that to give people. And so I think that is a, a valid concern that you have. And we have to remind leaders to, to make sure that self-care is uh, at the top of that priority list, because it's impossible to give to others what you don't have to give. Um, that seems very simple, but I think this is a season in, in public education that we need to, as much as possible, simplify the complexity of the work. The work is complex in nature. And so how do we simplify the complexity of the work? I would say, one, we realize that the work can be done. That's the first thing we have to believe because I believe that's 50% of doing the work is believing that it can be done. If you don't believe this work can be done, then you're in the wrong space, right? And you certainly can't lead other people to do the work if, if you, don't believe it. Um, not only do you have to profess that belief, you have to model that. People have to see that walk. People have to see that talk. And, and those two things have to match, right? Um, they have to believe that they have a leader that's special, that, that nobody else in, uh, in this country or world has the leader that they have. Uh, they have to be fired up. They have to be inspired. Um, 20 years ago, we captured, we the Peters Group, as a company and working with others, uh, CIT. CIT stands for Capture, Inspire, Teach. And teach is the third step, not the first step. And so the capturing process in, in the first step is, you know, people have to want to, to learn, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a student, whether it's a leader, they have to have that desire to learn. And then the, the second step to inspire people to learn you have to give them a personal reason to to want to learn with you, to be in that circle of influence. And then the third step is made easy because then they give you their permission uh, to teach them, whether it's in the classroom or whether it is professional development for assistant principals, principals, assistant superintendents, superintendents, or school board members. That um, CIT process has been working uh, like magic in every professional development circle that we do. And people get it, it simplifies the complexity of the work. And so, you know, people have to take care of themselves. And I think as we see our colleagues not only uh, get sick and, and um, some are hospitalized, some have lost their lives. I was playing golf every Sunday at one o'clock with a colleague and a dear friend 
who was the president of a technical college here in Georgia. And he went in for a simple procedure. Well, there is no simple procedure. He went in for surgery that didn't appear to be life-threatening and he never came out. He passed away at a young age. And so when you see these things and you have personal experiences with losing people who are close to you, um, it's not only a wake-up call, it is an alarm clock to, to do something, right? And so when we simplify the complexity of the work, I offered Capture Inspire Teach as one, and I offer those two simple words that I said just now, do something. Yeah. That is a call to action. And I appreciate the, the focus on the, the belief. I think that I'll just add to it by saying there, 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 not only do you have to believe it, but there's this self and internal talk that you need to have that even on the difficult days, mm -hmm. you need to remind yourself of what you do believe. Because there yeah. are times where it's very easy to fall victim to the circumstances and to feel down and frustrated as a leader. And somehow oh, you, you need to have this internal talk of that is the case. And yes, I've not only had a bad day, but maybe multiple in a row or weeks. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the, the other portions of that, Jeff, and I often remind leaders when I'm doing professional development training with them, is that I don't believe that that no one can do this work the way they do it. The folks that are on the front lines of this work right now, nobody can do this work the way they do it. Nobody can do it better. And, and when they hear that, then they leave and they go do it better, right? Um, and so the more people we have believing that they have been called to this work. They didn't just show up. It's not a coincidence that we, we're all called to this work. Okay, so I want to uh, shift gears and, and talk about this, uh, the American high school. I want to talk mm -hmm. about this. Um, mm -hmm. I want the, the, the listeners and, and audience right now to know uh, this is not why I called Stephen and said, hey, I, I want you to be on a leader chat with us. Mm -hmm. And in our first conversation, Stephen and I, uh, he mentioned it, and I was embarrassed that I had not heard of it because I, I kind of pride myself on tracking these things. So uh, so out of embarrassment, I thought, well, I, I better get into this. And so I started streaming it. Like I said, I watched it on Amazon Prime, and I've become addicted, and it's caused me a couple of problems. Number one, I've been watching it when I'm not supposed to be at home. That's a problem. Um, it happens to us, but this is happening to me literally right now another is that he mentioned it's it's pretty emotional and I, I i am a crier um but i shouldn't be crying when i'm in a public gym on a treadmill and i have been on a treadmill watching this show because that's what i do so i don't get bored and i've had to stop and put my head down so i don't get embarrassed because oh ouch oh it pulls at emotional you know strings like uh you know very few things will. It's an incredible show. I want, I want you to talk about two things. One, your motivation for jumping back into the high school. Um, and I want to talk, tell us about how it shaped your leadership afterwards. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you, you came out of that, I have to assume, different than when you walked in. And uh, I, I, I'd love for you to describe that for us. Yeah, yeah. So I have to go back to um, a long way, actually. I, I was a middle school principal and I was featured for my work 
with African-American males on, on Oprah, right? And after being featured on Oprah... That Sim similar to this, Stephen. I mean, so, yeah, yeah. people have compared yeah. me to Oprah before. I get That's it. Right. I get That's it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think when I went to work that the next day, the phone rang at our school 312 times. And I remember the superintendent coming over and saying, Stephen, you know, when we hired you, we knew we wouldn't have you long. We knew that and we took, we, we, we wanted you here. And so um, he proposed that I become director of secondary education uh, to give me a little time to, to be able to go out and consult and I wouldn't have the day-to-day -day operation responsibilities of a school. So um, I did that for two years in Maryland, director of secondary education in a school district in Maryland. And then I, I started consulting full-time um, with a group, uh, Visionary Leaders Institute, VLI, who gave me my start uh, as a consultant. Um, and they had probably 10 or 12 of the U.S. top consultants working at VLI. So I learned a lot, but I did it full time. And I was speaking in Austin, Texas, um, after 13 years of full time consulting. And they introduced me as an education expert and um, I, I can remember afterwards, I, I had a conversation with my wife that I, I didn't feel like an expert in, in educational leadership. I, I felt like a hypocrite because we had all these folks out here doing this, this work on the front lines of public education. And I was just flying from city to city speaking and going to the next city speaking again. And I hadn't run a school in 13 years. And so I, I talked to my wife and I said, you know, I really want to go back. And she said, go back where? And I said, I want to go back into a school. <laughs> go back and where? I, I never run a high school before. I've never been a high school principal. I've been a middle school principal. Mm -hmm. And I'd served on the board, the state board of middle school association. So I knew middle schools, but you know, how can I be an education expert helping high school principals if I never ran a high school? And as as God would have it, you know, unfortunately, the high school principal at OW had a massive heart attack at 50 years old and passed away. And the superintendent was uh, a good friend of mine and my wife's. And she says, Stephen, uh, OW is the kind of school that we can't put anybody in there. I mean, it's volatile. And this was March, April. And she says, please, she says, Angela would love to have you home more. You could sleep in your own bed every night. She sold it to me. Yes, and I, she, she you know, suckered you in. Right. She yeah. says, before you answer, go meet that. Let us have you at the school, meet with the faculty, meet the special people that are there. And I went over and, and I, I'll never forget having a conversation with a head custodian who lived in the neighborhood with the kids and He'd been there for a while, and, and I just wanted to work with him. I wanted to be a part of his team. I, I really did. I was inspired by him. And I went home, and I was like, Angela, we got to do this. Let's pull out a pad and, and see, you know, what our losses would be. And I, I have to tell you without any numbers that it, it normal person would not have done that. I mean, we had a substantial loss of income, all of my speaking fees, all of my books, you know, you wouldn't, we weren't selling many books with, without me being out there. I'll just put it that way. But I, I truly believe that God called me to go into that school, that he sent me there. And three days on the job, 
the BBC called me on my cell phone and they said, listen, we heard, we've been following you for a decade and we love your work. Let us film this. They, they said, we want unprecedented access. We, we don't want to pick, we don't want to edit beyond what happens. And, and I said, you know, that might be hard to get, but my relationship with the superintendent, we might be able to do it. And so we had that conversation, the school board approved it and they sent six, seven people from, from London. They rented a house for a year and they filmed every day. Um, and that's how American high school, um, happened. That's the origin of it. And it's six episodes. It was purchased, uh, after winning the best doc in, in, um, in, in Europe in 2017 and then it was purchased by national geo tv and it was played primetime in 2017-18 and now it's on amazon prime video all six episodes but they followed the lives of about six or seven of us um and most of the students were seniors except for tj and he was a freshman and you were talking about crying i'm getting choked up now because i'm I still talk to these kids who are not kids anymore. Um, they are, are young adults and um, they are all doing well um, to God be the glory for that. But it was one of the toughest years of my life while being one of the most rewarding leadership experiences um, I've ever had in my life. So coming out of that, there, um, w- w- what, you know, you you continued as a leader, and you moved, You had a, a different leadership position. Your superintendent after that. How did that experience then shape what you thought about leadership? I'm sure you went into that with certain assumptions that came true, and I'm sure you went into there knowing that you're probably ignorant on some things too that you just had no idea of. So when you yeah. came out, you were better for it. And how would you describe that? Yeah, I would describe the fact that when we think about leadership, we we don't include the main leaders in a school. And the main leaders in in a school are the students. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Uh, At OW, we had 1,400 students and we had 146 adults. Who's really in charge of that school? It's the only question you have to ask. They can take over that school anytime they want to because there's strength in numbers. And so my perspective was to find out who the leaders were in the school. I mean, all you have to do is find out who's getting suspended the most. <laughs> and, and I met with the multiple suspenders, people who were getting suspended out of school, in school. And I brought them in the auditorium and I asked them to, to become part of my management team to help me run the school. Uh, We gave several of them walkie talkies in the morning to bring freshmen in off the bus port. People respected them because they knew what positions they held in the neighborhoods. And so basically we took leaders who were leading negatively and helped them uh, lead positively in our school as part of our management team. Okay. So, um, as you think about what you learned from the leaders, the students, uh, 
moving forward to to now, I know you're working on uh, an article that you've been able to send me uh, some some a kind of a preview to. Um, I think the title is "Leading Change and the Undoing of Roadblocks Holding Us Back." Right. So I, I see a potential connection there, and I'm curious. Um, there are there are these roadblocks holding us back, and yet. What an amazing time this is, Stephen, to be able to um, make some really needed changes in education. Some changes that maybe tradition at one point held us back from. And now we've been shaken, right? Mm -hmm. So if we slip back into tradition, shame on us, as opposed to forming a, a new norm, right? A new culture focused on, of course, the leaders in the mm -hmm. school, which is our kids, right? Yeah. So talk to us about, you know, what, what you're describing in this article and the concept of how we lead it and we undo some of these road, roadblocks. Yeah, yeah. So the undoing begins with understanding that the organizational structure of our public education system is no longer aligned with the realities our students face daily, right? I mean, our structure is designed for students who come from homes um, like I came from, that had a mother and a father. Yeah. That when school let out in the afternoon that those parents were gonna sit at a table or somewhere in the house and ask you how your day went and do you have homework and go get it let me see it yeah um, my parents had to sign my homework so in <laughs> and literally jeff i had three teachers live on my block in south carolina they lived right on the same block so you know we went to school and we were taught by teachers who lived in our neighborhoods that the organizational structure was built on that uh, platform those things no longer hold true i mean we we didn't have money but we weren't hungry um we didn't move three times in six months because rent couldn't be paid um there are so many uh distractions for students now but then now there are also an equal amount of distractions for the adults who who teach and support students in schools. And so we have to take this opportunity to create better conditions for certain things to happen in our schools. I, I believe that this is, um, this is not only a wake up call, but this is an opportunity to, to really understand that these challenges are brilliantly dis disguised as opportunities, right? They are. Yeah we're in that season and that's why I am so excited. I mean, I woke up this morning as excited as I was in 1981 when I first started teaching. I have that same energy, that same passion because I truly believe that these children in our schools are depending on us. And that for many of the students that I've worked with over 42 years, um, we, we are their last hope. They're not going to be able to fall back on on somebody else who will lift them up. Um, this is our opportunity. This is our chance to 
to get it right this time. And so whenever I'm asked, like in this instant, to join you where I know you have an audience who, who will listen, um, then it's it's on. I mean, we're, we're ready to, to roll our sleeves up. This is a time where all hands on deck, all sleeves are rolled up. It doesn't matter what your title is, you know, this is about servant leadership. This is working with people, nobody working for, for you. You're, you're blessed to be a part of the amazing teams that you have assembled in your school districts. And this is also an opportunity to say thank you to those folks on the front lines of this work. Uh, the work that you've been asked to do in the past two and a half years is nothing simple of we've been asking you to perform miracles every day and you've done it and you continue to do it. So um, just want to say that I'm here. Uh, you know, I am available. I am accessible. And we have a network of people like Jeff Rose and his arsenal that are, are ready, willing, and more importantly, able to help. I thought when you were going to, you were talking about this excitement this morning that you woke up with, I thought you were going to liken it or compare it to the day you talked to Oprah. Um, but I, I guess I was wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know, here's, here's something that uh, I ask our, our leader chat members to, to say. You know, most of our systems, Stephen, are not talking at. Uh, most of our systems of leaders, we say circles are better than rows, right? Yeah. This line that I stole from, from my pastor. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you were at a table with us, you now you were at a round table um, with leaders, you mentioned earlier and uh, you said that the educators right now are equipped to do this work. It is them. So mm -hmm. as you deliver that message around this table, but what would be your just here's my pragmatic advice I have to leave you with. I'm just, what would you want to drop in the middle of the table for them to consider? Um, how would you state it really cleanly, specifically, quickly? What would you want them to know? Yeah, I think our best shot is around the word synergy, um, which is defined as the efforts of more than one, far away the efforts of one, that we need a synergistic approach to all of the complexities in education, that we can solve this together, that we can move education um, forward together, that we can make the changes that are necessary. Um, I mean, it's impossible to, to change a tire on a car while the car is still moving. That I, I think that illustrates what we've been doing in, in our school districts and schools uh, pre-COVID. That, that we were changing car tires while the car is still moving. We can get it done. Uh, it's an impossible feat for, for most, but possible for some. But for all of us in the arena of public education, we need each other. We have to depend on each other. We have to think our way through. And I think we have finally reached the season where the beautiful mission statements that we've written in the past uh, all children can learn. Um, they're not holding water anymore, that we need to do more than sound good. Uh, when uh, my father, again, at 98 years old, still reminds me 
that when you know better, you do better. In, in, in this space, we know better, so we must do better. And the good news is there are a whole host of people who are here to support uh, and help leaders around this country do this work. But we have to, again, believe it can be done, and then we have to set out with a relentless pursuit to do this work. Well, Stephen, I want to thank you not just for this time, but more specifically for the work that you have done, you are doing, but also just as importantly, what you are going to do. I mean, clearly, um, you're you're on fire here, and you're Thanks. not and you're not done, and it's Thanks. extremely impressive. And um, I find myself fortunate to be learning from you. I know the same is the case with uh, other mm -hmm. leaders, and. I'm, I didn't just watch episode one through almost the end of four to prep for this. I'm on to five. And you, I guarantee you the next time I'm on my treadmill, we're all going to be sneaking episodes at night. Uh, it, it'll probably take me about 24 hours to be done. So um, anyway, I've, I've loved this. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thank you, Jeff. And continue. Thank you for the work you're doing as well. Thank By you so all much. Means. By all means. Take Ladies and gentlemen, um, phenomenal. Uh, Stephen Peters is, is an incredible man, an incredible leader, and uh, I highly recommend you continue to, to look into some of his work. And we will um, show that to you, but what an opportunity for us to be able to pick his brain um, as a fellow leader. So once again, ladies, gentlemen, leaders, uh, thank you for your noble work. Be well.